you don't perform good, you're gonna lose. So since day one, we were like training super hard. Didn't know jiu-jitsu would give me money. I didn't know anything, but I had that goal to become a jiu-jitsu world champion. I learned so much on that journey. That journey make me who I am. The year that I turned 18, I complete every freaking weekend. Let's cool one out. Let's I love cool to out. fight. Kobe Kobe on the last three, four years I've been thinking about it. Growing up in Brazil was very hard. A couple of times they cut off the lights because we didn't have money to pay the bill. We cut off the water. I never starved, but a couple of times was was rough. Oatmeal for the whole week. January 2012 was my first professional fight. 2014 I signed with the UFC. I was 7-0, all finished in the first round. There are three ways to get paid in the UFC. Get your show money. If you win, you get your win bonus. And if it's a great fight, fight of the night, a good performance, you go. That's 50,000. When you set your goal originally to be a Jiu-Jitsu world champion, your goal was way smaller than what you can achieve. And we are back in Miami with the Frankie Lee podcast. And today, guys, I have not disappointed you in the slightest. I've got the main man himself, Gilbert Burns from the UFC. Mate, unbelievable career, unbelievable. Um, everything you've done in your, your life has been unbelievable. But, you know, jujitsu, everything else, the UFC, smashed it on all levels. Mate, I kind of want to start your career from... I was reading a story, and it was about your dad, and it's about how he obviously got you into jiu-jitsu in this first place. There was a guy who turned up at a car garage, went to maintain his car, and he's, and he's, and your dad was like, look, don't pay me in money. Give my son three months jiu-jitsu training. And that's where I want to start this podcast from because I think that's an unbelievable story to kind of start you into jiu-jitsu. So welcome to the show and give me a bit of an insight into, into that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's how I get into martial arts, to be honest. Uh, my first meeting with martial arts was same thing. My dad, we had a big, big backyard, and then he was he rented for for karate professor. He was teaching for years, and then he moved out of state. And my daddy always worked at home. And back then, two thousand uh, nineteen ninety eight, he was he has a like a mechanic shop. He was fixing the car, but the inside of the car, like the seats yeah. and everything. And it happens that one of these clients that show up was a jiu-jitsu coach. We found out because it was a gi inside of the car, and we were hel- helping my dad w- w- with the job. And uh, me and my brothers got, we started playing with the gi, and my daddy saw an opportunity. And uh, he asked the, the, the guy, hey, whenever the service was done, he said, oh, instead of you pay, can my kids do jiu-jitsu, I have no money, and, and we were broke back there. I remember my mom got very mad with the coach, with, with my dad, because we need that money. Right, yeah. But he kind of trading instead of get paid, so we could start training jiu-jitsu. And uh, I remember clear, I have, those are, that moment I have a clear memory from that day. I remember that we start training, and we didn't have geese and anything, but we went there, we trained, and then we got back home. And my dad asked, hey, how was how was the first day? How was the jiu-jitsu? You guys have fun? You guys like it? And then he said, yeah, it was nice. We went to learn how to front row. We, we learned how to choke a little bit on bar and was telling the names. And then I remember, like, he, he stopped and he said, like, okay, good. So if you guys really like it, you make sure you guys... Do your best with that. Make sure you're one of the best because 
You guys only can train free for three months. And after that, I have no money to keep paying for you guys. So make sure you're one of the best over there. Because after three months, I'm going to ask the coach to, to give you guys a scholarship because I have no money. And if you guys are good, I think he's going to give. But if you guys are not good, if you guys don't behave, you guys are done, you know. And and uh, me and my brothers got crazy with that. With that thing, knowing if you if you don't perform good, we're going to lose. So since day one, we were like training super hard and getting early, uh, getting there early. And then we got to help with the clean, clean up. And then I remember one month after that was the first tournament. So they, they kind of ask who wants to do it. We, we just, we just put our hands up. We get a sponsor paying off the cars. And then my both brothers won and I lost. And then the other month we competed again. And the other month we competed again. We were training like very, very hard. And the coach loves us, and he never let us go. That that was my beginning in the, in the martial arts. And then after that, we kept competing, kept getting better, and we never stopped. So, what was it like for you when you first went into that jujitsu gym? Did you kind of have a feeling that you know this is for me? This is this is what I want to do. Was was it that kind of feeling? Even though you were young, do you kind of had an inkling that this is it? Not not in the beginning, because in the beginning, those other kids were mashing me. I didn't know anything. But I got there with the competition. When I got to the competition, the professor kind of, he let us know a little bit. When you get there, it's going to be people yelling. It's going to be a competition. But try to do the things that you're learning. And no pressure, you know, just try to try your best. But then when I got in the competition, I don't know, I, I fell in love with the competition before I fell in love with jiu-jitsu, you know, just... I was getting to the tournaments, you know, a lot of kids, and we competing, trying to fight each other. I think I fall in love first with the competition, then with the jiu-jitsu. And then later on, when I was 15, 16, then I, I fell in love with jiu-jitsu more, training. And I love to train, and then I started doing extra things like judo and wrestling. I remember even biking. I would start biking to school just to get better cardio. And then, and that was it. But first, my first love was with the competition. I suppose doing jiu-jitsu at such a young age kind of in, and growing up in Rio de Janeiro would have protected you on the streets as well. Yes, yes, I, I believe so, especially especially because I have two brothers. I, I'm the middle brother. I have older and young brother, and we always kind of always together, you know, and then we, we used to, like I said, we did karate in the beginning, so we kind of know how to defend a little bit. But then we did jiu-jitsu and a little bit of karate. So, yeah, then we got way more confident to go anywhere. And, uh, yeah, it was, was danger. Not not that crazy, but in Brazil, we knew, we, right now it's a different time. Now everybody has a gun. It's, it's different. But back then, everybody kind of knew how to fight. You know, we got to know how to fight in Brazil. And, uh, yeah, we did jiu-jitsu. gave us a lot of confidence, you know, like even in the school, in the street, yeah. Gives a lot of confidence. I mean, we see all the top jujitsu guys obviously coming out of Brazil like a conveyor belt, one after the other after the other, world champion after world champion after world champion, and it's only getting better and better and better and better. Like, you know, what was it like being in that competitive environment, though? Do you know what I mean? Because e everyone there is like they're fighting for their life to come away from poverty to make something with jujitsu so they can get into you know the world stage or make something for their family. 
he just makes super hard. The, the level goes goes up crazy. Everybody's trying to make out of Brazil, you know. Everybody's trying to make a name. Every, every, everyone's trying to make a career. And it just makes so hard. The competition, the level is so is so high. You gotta be too much of obsessed with the training and everything around training to improve. Because you might be the guy at one tournament, but we have several tournaments during the year, just like Olympic boxing, just like every other high-level tournament. You're going to face the guy again in a couple months, maybe in a couple weeks. And you got to keep up. You got to... The level that you need to have with obsessed to get better is that is super high because everyone wants to get out of there. Everyone wants to make money. Everybody in Brazil needs to wants to become a champion. It's to get out of Brazil on regular basis, like if you do a regular school and, and, and college, it would be so hard to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. But, and then we see, especially in the neighborhood that's a little bit more poor, the sports, were, were, <laughs> that's the way, you know, that's the way we do it. The guy's trying to be a, a soccer player or a fighter, and uh, and yeah, I think that was the way out. So then we gotta work extremely hard and competing and do good, and then eventually we're gonna we we're gonna succeed and be able to to make a life out of that. But the level I just remember the level was just so high, and I remember when I was turning eighteen, they have so many tournaments and we got, and then I want to do all the tournaments. So that's how I'm gonna get better. I'm gonna get to a next belt, and then I'm gonna get close to become a world champion. And uh, I remember with the year that I turned 18, I compete every freaking weekend. Every weekend. Maybe I get one weekend that was free the whole year, maybe two. But I remember they have a tournaments on Saturday at, at one place. And like two, three hours away, they have another tournament on Sunday. And I was doing that. I was doing like five, six matches on, on Saturday go home, rest up, and next day I'm going like for three hours driving or getting a bus to get to another tournament. So so the level keep getting better. So I keep getting better. So that was the beginning, like competing, competing, getting better, and obsessed with that. I remember a lot of friends going out and, and, and going to parties, and I was just like, you know what? That That's what I want. And I remember going obsessed with that. Like since since I was 16, I knew that's what I want to do. I want to become a jiu-jitsu world champion. And, like, I can clearly say that I give my all in. Like, I was all in on that and uh, super, like, crazy discipline. More obsessed because I didn't know that I could become a champion and go to the UFC and make money out of that and make a living out of that. Back then, I don't even, I wasn't thinking so much in a financial way. It was just a dream to become a world champion, you know. I think money and things will be behind that, but the the dream, the goal, the the thing was to become a world champion in jiu-jitsu. I think the people that I've spoken to that always put the dream first, the money always follows, where I think the people that go in search of the money always fall short, in, in my experience, from, from like seeing what's happened in boxing. I've had a lot of talented mates that would have been world champions, but because they started to pursue the money too early, they fell off and they fell off in their careers at a time when really they should have been taken off. They were falling off. They were getting into the drugs, the alcohol, the women and everything else that stops you getting to that top, top level of the game. 
Too much distraction. Too much distraction. Do you, do you obviously look? You, I've when I was studying your career before this podcast, I thought your mindset must be bulletproof to go through every adversity and everything that you've been through to get to even to even get to the UFC. In in, in essence, I thought, fuck me, this guy's been through a shit lot. But when you get there. Is it on that way, on that journey to the UFC and on that journey to, to the pinnacles of the sport, what you've done? Was there any, was, do you remember the first time you ever doubted yourself? Yes, I, I did a couple of times. And uh, I really had to, to dig deep and, and see how much I wanted because I remember the first, I had a couple, couple phases that I doubt myself, you know, especially the moment of transition. Those transition was was the hardest part for me because I remember when I was in Brazil, for, I think I was 20 when I got my black belt and I was doing college. I have a sponsor that, like I said, was the growing up in Brazil was very hard, you know, like a couple of times they cut off the lights because we didn't have money to pay, to pay the bill. We cut off the water and was kind of, sometimes when my dad got a client, we're good, we sat for a couple of weeks, but then we're chasing for another client. On that main time, sometimes things got tough. I never starved, but a couple of times was was rough, you know, just oatmeal for the whole week, and then it was it was rough. But then get, growing up a little bit, I, I saw a couple of tournaments I was making <laughs> a little bit of money, not real money, but a little bit just to, to get by. But I, I had couple sponsors, especially that one guy that he, he passed away, he was older, but he owns a company in Brazil, and that guy helped me big time, you know, he was the one that like, I don't know what he saw in me, but he saw a guy super hungry, and then he started playing all my tournaments and competing, and he was the one that paid my international travels, a lot of travels, and uh, he put me on the college, he was paying to my college. And uh, that was one of the hardest moments that I had that I started doubting myself because I got my black belt, but I was doing college. I wasn't trained like I used to train. So I, I went to, to the U.S. That was the first uh, jiu-jitsu tournament awards in the U.S. Since 2006, was every time the World Jiu-Jitsu tournament was in Rio, 2007, they changed to California. So he got my visa. I went to to the U.S. to compete. I was second place, lost in the finals. On the brown belt, got back to Brazil, was earning my black belt. But then when I earned my black belt, it was a little, I just lost the word. I, it's still second place, but I lost, you know. And I was doing college. I wasn't trained as I could because of college. And then when I got back, uh, they had a tournament. Like I said, I was training, but not as I was doing before the, at that moment. And the, that was my first tournament in the black belt. And I beat a lot of guys that were great. They were doing good for years because whenever whenever you get a black belt, you just go your black belt. But the guy's been there already like, like, a pro, like a boxer that was Olympic amateur boxing. He did great, but now he becomes pro. But the pro's been there for years. He, yeah. Now you gotta prove yourself. It's the same thing with, with the black belt. Whenever you got your black belt, those guys been black belt for years. So that was the hardest part. But when I got my black belt, I I remember I was beating that at that tournament. I had 
my first five fights, I beat high-level guys. And I lost on the finals by one advantage to a guy that was a third place in the wars that was second place in the brown belt. He was just a third place. And then they have another division. So I lost on that finals. I beat a couple more guys, and I did the finals with this guy again. And I lost by half a decision. And that was when he hit me. I said, man, I wasn't even trained that hard. And I I almost beat the guy that was third place in the world. I, I, I got to change, you know, I got to do something. Then I saw, I kind of know, we know each other very well in the jiu-jitsu. still a big community, but it's still a small community. Everyone knows everyone. And I know they were having a good training in Sao Paulo. It's a different state. I used to, I used to live in Rio. So in Sao Paulo, they have a good training. They were training all day, three times a day, great training. And I thought about going to Sao Paulo. So I went to Sao Paulo a little bit. I was there for two weeks. I trained. I loved the training. But then I got back because, like I said, I have a college. That sponsor was paying my college. He was, I wasn't making money, but I had a motorcycle that he was paid, paid for. I have a college that was paid for. Any tournaments, I have the guys that were paying for. It was kind of comfortable position. But then I, I said, like, he in Rio, and it was in the same moment that everyone in Rio started doing MMA Valitudo back there. So the jiu-jitsu level went down a little bit. The jiu-jitsu in Sao Paulo started dominating Brazil. So I know I got to go to Sao Paulo, but that was the hard decision that I doubt myself. Because it went, if I was moving to Sao Paulo, I would let go my sponsors. I would let go college. I would drop off college. And uh, but I still want to do it. Like my gut was saying, go and give it all, and I know it's gonna be good. But then there was a fight with my parents because my parents don't want me to drop off college. Like we growing up in a very poor neighborhood, like didn't have a lot. Now I have a chance to do college, and I want to drop off. So the conversation with my dad was like very hard. But then, anyways, I decided to go. End of two thousand seven, I moved to to. To Sao Paulo, and that was super rough because I, I was I have a comfortable situation at that time. Everything paid for, college, training, competition. When I moved to Sao Paulo, I moved like with no money. I start from scratch. Then I started working security on the weekends to just pay my bill. And I remember if I exchange my bill back then, we live in a in a on a on a very small place, like very, 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 very small apartment with just one bedroom, four guys living in there, even a, a studio, very small studio. And uh, we we split that for four guys, with four guys living in there, and then the rent was not even $10. In a couple of months, they didn't have those $10 to pay. So I was doing security. Whenever they have security, a couple, couple of weeks they don't have. So... In that year, 2008, end of 2007, beginning of 2008, that was a hard year for me because it was one of my first years as a black belt. Like I said, everybody been a black belt for years. I just got my black belt. They good at the first tournament, but they started not doing that good. And then I let go college. I let go my family. I went to Sao Paulo, working, training. And that was the moment that I man, what I'm doing, you know? Should I be here? Should I not? And then I remember... The, I was kind of battle. I was in the, a little bit on the battle, like fighting to those thoughts. 
And then I always had bronchitis growing up, and I had a crease of bronchitis. I started getting sick, and I was broke. <laughs> like, I had no money for medicine or anything, and then like, shit. And I got those those phone coins that I got to get a, the pay phone. I got a couple coins. I was calling my mom to ask for money just to get a medicine to get by that week. And I remember when I was calling my mom, I haven't talked to her in like a couple of weeks. So when I call her, I was just like, hey, mom, how's everything? How you doing? Before I ask for money. And they say, yeah, it's been tough. It's not good. Uh... How is you doing over there? Do you have any money to send to me? And then I was calling her for ask for money. And before I asked, she asked me for money. That was the another thing that I was just like, oh, shit, okay. I don't have yet, but I'm going to send it to you. Don't worry about it. And then whenever I turned the, the phone off, I was just like, man, now I'm going to make it happen. You know, That was a, a moment of doubting to that the whole process, especially that I was getting sick. But then when 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 I was talking to my mom, that one hits me. I say, okay, now I'm gonna make it happen. You know, now it's, I have to make it happen. You know, and that was. But yeah, I being especially in those transition when I move out of state, I had a lot of doubts. And but then I have a confirmation. And then when I was doing the MMA too, I had a couple moments that I had a lot of doubts, but I had that confirmation. You know, so. Yeah, <laughs> a couple moments that sometimes I was having a lot of doubts and I was fighting myself and fighting my own thoughts. But then kind of God sent me the confirmation. Then I say, okay, let's keep going. Let's keep, let's hustle a little bit more. I think that's a beautiful way to kind of realize that, you know, you're on this path and you have to relentlessly chase what you want. Otherwise, you know, the world's going to keep giving you reminders to put you back on that path and I think your mum asking for that money at that time, just just before you were about to ask for that money, was a pattern interrupt to you and kind of said to you, "Hey, look, look, you're you're the man in the house. We 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 need you to do this because you've got to provide for all of us," kind of thing. And I think that kind of flicked that switch in your mind. If there's anyone listening to this right now that's that's going through a, a moment in their life where they're where they're doubting themselves, what would your advice as a as a as a champion be? We all have those moments, you know. I think we all have difficult moments. And uh, I'll try to embrace that for a little bit more, you know. It's not going to suck forever. It's not going to be that hard forever. But on the same way, all those hard moments that I had, it make me who I am, you know. It make me a real fighter. It make me... Whenever I get a call from the UFC and they, oh, we have this guy that no one wants to fight. Do you want to fight? And I always say, yes. I've been through <laughs> I've been through so much that it's going to be a fight, you know, for sure. I'm going to get ready for I'm going to get, I'm going to get prepared for I'm going to prepare for But it's no challenge that whenever you go through a lot that, they're going to kind of be afraid of that you're going to be like, they're not going to take it, you know. And then I'm, nowadays, for every loss that I had, for every hard moment, hard moment of my life growing up or competition, I'm very thankful for because 
it make me who I am. It make me have the desire that I have. It make me have the strength that I have. So anyone going through a hard moment, I think you just try to stay strong for that moment a little bit more. You know, sometimes the easy way out is just to to quit, to stop. But at that moment, for sure, I thought about stop and then. But I remember these couple moments that I have that is clear. Like I remember me on the phone calling her to ask the mo- for money, and then when she asked me first, it kind of broke me down. But in the same way, I couldn't show her. I couldn't. I, I said, "Okay, don't worry. I'm gonna. I don't have it right now, but I'm gonna have. It. I'm gonna send it to you. Don't worry." And because sometimes we focus so much in us, and sometimes. We have a lot of people that are depending on us that is kind of counting on you. And when I took that as a responsibility, I didn't took that on a bad way that, oh, shit, now I'm going to help my mom. I didn't took that on a negative way, like, shit. Not, I not only got to provide for me, but for my family, but I took that on a good way as a, a good responsibility. I'm not doing that only for me, you know. I'm doing that for my family, too. And that hits me very hard, very deep, that it gives me extra energy, gives me extra motivation. So anyone that's struggling out there, I just think you got to, especially at that moment, I need, I, I remember I had a clear goal, and I wrote that down, and I had wrote down a couple places that I want to become a world champion. And sometimes it's a task, you know, it's how bad do you really want, like how much do you really want to you? And especially at that moment in Brazil, a lot of guys were training as hard as me, maybe suffering as much as me, but sometimes who who can take a little bit more, you know, who can keep keep taking and keep going. I think one of the things that I've kind of figured in life is you need a why. You need a why you could do it. It's not just about, you didn't, you didn't just, just, you wrote the goal down to be a world champion. I've no doubt about that. But that but that wasn't your why. Your why was, was something deeper ingrained in you behind that. And that's what's helped you overcome everything. You know, your why was you wanted to provide for your family. Your why was you didn't want to see your family or you struggle for food again. Your why was to be able to not have your dad where he had to go and, you know, do a whole interior of a car this week and then not have one for three weeks you wanted to make sure that everything was covered that way the world champion was the goal but the why was something a lot deeper ingrained in you from a young age than than just being a world champion i think yeah i think you that why i i, I call it purpose you need to have a purpose you need to only only the money only the gold only the the, the status, I think that is not going to give you the... Yeah. You're not going to give it that, that drive, that, that will. And during the way, too, I had a lot of things that even make the purpose even harder. I remember I remember my older brother. That's why I have the, the nickname Durinho because my, my, my older brother was still the Duru. So he was the very tough. I was the little tough. Uh... My older brother was very good, like he used to train super hard. And I remember one of our heroes 
was Vitor Shaolin Ribeiro. He was three times black belt world champion. He was the first one fighting out of Brazil in Japan on the lighter weight. And uh, he was a freaking monster. And then we always look up for him because he was very disciplined. He was like a freaking samurai doing everything. And I was that was the guy that I would start copying. And I said, okay, I want to be like this guy. And I remember we were living in Niterói. It's a, it's a city like you just crossed the bridge like 20 minutes you in Rio. And they had that great training in Nova Union when they make guys like Vitor Shaolin, like Jose Aldo, a bunch of other great guys. And uh, right on the beginning, like I said, when I was 16, that I was taking more serious. I was just following my older brother. And my older brother, I remember Vitor Shaolin had a big fight in Japan coming up. And then he asked my older brother to help him with the training. And then my brother didn't know much fighting, but there was a good grappler. And they said, let's do grappling, but we can't slap each other. And he beat the shit off my brother, but he was our hero. So even though my brother got beat up, we we were so, like, we were so happy. We were in ecstasy. Like, I was so happy for my brother. Like, man, you're training Shaolin. Like, wow. And then we were, like, we were on the bus back home, like, we were just, like, super happy. And then at the end of the, uh, the training, Shaolin gave my brother a short, like a volley to the short, and then made sure that we were, like, we were so happy. Like, wow, you got the short like crazy. And then I remember that same day when we got home, my dad was, like I said, we were struggling with money. Back then, jiu-jitsu was just, wasn't as close as big as today that people go, teaching Abu Dhabi in the U.S., so it wasn't that big. And then I remember when we got home, my dad was kind of like, he was up super upset because he was putting a lot of emphasis in jiu-jitsu, and back then, that wasn't giving any money back. Uh, and my dad was, hey, can you give me, like, I remember, like, can you give me $2? He asked that question to my brother. My brother, no, like, what do you mean? He knows. And my dad, but you, because I was 16, my brother was about to be 18. And then he was like, you're about to be 18, you don't have no money. And he put a lot of pressure on my brother, and that was a big fight that we had. And then my brother has to go to a military school back then, that time, when they fought. And then nowadays he's a Navy SEAL in Brazil. He's still training jiu-jitsu, black belt in, in jiu-jitsu, in judo, badass. But back then... Me as a 16, seeing especially that day that he trained with our hero, that was, we was in next and my dad kind of took that away, and then he forced, he didn't force it, but we were broke. So he was the older brother, he has to work, you know, he has to help to provide. But on my mind, the way I see was his dream, my brother's dream was taken away from him. He couldn't do jiu-jitsu anymore. Later, he kind of got back, but he lost the momentum that he was he was doing. And I took that, I, t- I didn't took that super well back then, but it took as a responsibility. Oh, shit, my brother cannot train anymore. I can't. So I got to, it was even more pushing so, to myself. You know? So you realized how lucky you were in that moment to be able to have the time to train. Yeah, I was just like, man, shit, now I got to train even more. I got to do even more. And I think those pushes, 
you kind of helped me through. On the beginning, was my dad. Hey, if you don't train hard, you're not going to be able to train. After three, four more years, my brother was taken away. And I was just like, oh, shit, I don't want that to be taken away from me. So now I really got to push it hard. And those moments, and then when I moved out of Sao Paulo, and then I had that, my mom asking for money. Oh, shit, now I got to push it even harder. So every couple of years, I had that little... Turn the screw. I got to go harder now. I got to push it up. I got to do more. And and to do more was, I don't know, running after training and doing the extra reps and training more and pushing more and competing more and, and doing more. And I think that kind of... Eventually, that was, that was getting me ahead of competition, like on a different way, physically, emotionally, mentally, those extra push was getting me ahead of everybody in the competition, you know, and then, it just like, when I see uh, all the documentaries, all, a couple clips from, from Kobe Bryant, the way he was like, yeah, I'm gonna train more, I'm gonna wake up early, I'm gonna do those extra sessions, and he wasn't thinking that for tomorrow, for next month, he would say, if I keep doing that consistently for years... It it, it compounds. It compounds, yeah. It gets you ahead. And I think those pushes, it helped me to to get ahead of competition, then moving to MMA. And then I had another moment that I got to move out of Brazil. So I think all those turning moments, it helped me so much. When you're obviously doing that much training and putting in that much effort like a Kobe Bryant was and you're seeing yourself as a Kobe Bryant of jiu-jitsu now, you're looking at your, your whole entire training regime like that, what, what are you doing for longevity in terms of, because I mentioned to you on the way up here to, to the podcast, uh, obviously you're currently coming back now, but you said, and I said how long have you got left and you told me how long you've got left in, in terms of like your years left in the sport and you said, but um, but um, you know, I'm I'm in I'm in good shape because of good good longevity. What what have what have you done your whole career to increase that longevity and make sure that you can get to the level you got to? I was always that guy that was very hard for me to get hurt. I never got hurt that much. And then along the way, studying that with a couple of different nutritionists, I learned that the type of body kind of helps a lot of that. The genetics helps a lot. I'm a type of blood O. Positive, so it's a very good type of blood. Like most of the, the Olympic champions, the high-level champions, the guys that broke records, they that type of blood because they can take a lot of more physically. Uh, I don't have a lot of surgery, even though I've been doing jiu-jitsu for years since I was 12. I don't have that many. I don't have surgeries on my body from, from fighting. Uh, and I learned how to take care a lot of myself when I... One thing that I was doing wrong for a couple of years, I was cutting a lot of weight. Then I moved up on the vision so I cut way less weight. That helped a lot of my organs on my body. I bought a cold plunge. I have I have a cold plunge at home maybe two, three years already that I've been doing the cold plunge daily. I have sauna. I have all the tools, normal tech, machine guns, and then those massage guns and bunch of other things I have my own therapist that I work with him every week uh, I eat very on a very health lifestyle I try to eat for sure I, I'm not perfect for sure 
I give myself those cheat days that I can enjoy and eat whatever I want. But most of the days I eat super clean. I pay a lot of attention on my hydration. And I try to train very smart right now. Like, I still train super hard. But it's, it's on a smart way to, you know, recovering a lot, doing a lot of stretching. I have a, a coach that does a lot of movement. I have a movement coach. I have my therapist. I have all my machine tools to, to get better. And uh, I don't abuse so much of my body like I used to when I was a kid, you know, before with a lot of physically, a lot of running, a lot of... Nowadays, I, I instead of run so much, I bicycle a lot. I just bicycle this morning before I come. I have a group that we do a lot of miles. Uh, I just try to be more aware that I still want to take my body three to four more years. I know I can do three to maybe four more years. I don't think I can do more than that on the highest level. And to do that on the highest level, I gotta take care of my body with the food or organic grass fed, great food, food that gives me energy, a great food, uh, supplements, and a lot of recovery tools. Run, run me through some of the supplementation that you take to keep your body in top shape because it, it interests me a lot. Because obviously, there's a lot of supplementation out there that I think people take that's absolutely unnecessary. Um, I just would just be really good to get your insights into what is what is good and what you found really helps your body. Yeah, it's very personal, you know. Like I've been working with the, this doctor Marcelo Ferro. He's one of my nutritionists. He's he showed me the nutrition a little bit oriental way. Couple things are very to, very good to eat during the day. Couple things are very good to eat in at night. He does a lot of things that be helped me a lot, a ton. And at night, we, we're not supposed to eat a lot of raw. Uh, any raw food at night is not too good for the body. And I don't do a lot of red meat at night I do, during the day. I love red meat, but it, it, help, it does very good for my body during, during the day, not at night, because it takes so much time to digest. And my body's trying to get cold to get me on sleep mood. So if I have a, a red meat, it's going to take a while to my body to, to get cold. So that's a couple of things. And the supplement's very individual the way he does. Like my young brother, we're from the same blood, same family, and it's very different supplementation that I have. But I do a, a good amount of magnesium, three different types of magnesium. I do... A lot of electrolytes because I used to cut a lot of weight in training so much. I get dehydrated super fast. Uh, for testosterone, he does a lot of Tonga Chiali. is the one that we do. And especially with Yuzada, I have 58 clean tests by Yuzada. I already got my jacket. Whenever you have 25 clean tests, you got a shirt. Whenever you get over uh, over 50,000 cleans, you get a jacket. I'm already 58 clean tests by the other. So all the supplementation I do is super clean, super proof. And there's not many fighters in the UFC that can say they're clean at all, like to be honest. Yes, I, I can. I'm proud to say I can. And those guys have been testing me everywhere. They have my whereabouts. That's the crazy thing with the yeah. UFC. I got to give my whereabouts. If I'm in Brazil, I gotta let them know that I'm in Brazil. They test me in Brazil. 
oh, I'm going to Australia, I might get tested in Australia. I was in Singapore. I could get tested in Singapore. They have all my whereabouts. And I'm very proud to say that I'm that I'm super clean because I'm 37 years old. Like I said, I think I have three, maybe four more years in my career. And I've been on the highest level for years. You know, I just I fought for the title like three years ago and I stay on the top five. I was number one for over a year, number two for two years. Now I'm in the top five of the, of the UFC fighting the best guys and I'm 37. And I still believe I can do that for a little bit more years because of that, because of the supplementation. So coming back from supplementation, uh, what else I take? I take a lot of things from, from from my joints. I love to take care of my joints. Like cod liver oil and all yes. that kind of stuff. Cod liver oil, you know. I've, <laughs> I do boswellia. I do uh, glutathione a lot. And uh, and uh, very different ways to, su- to supplement it. One thing that I do, take very serious my sleep. My sleep got to be on point. And I, I was doing a lot of CBD to help with my sleep, but today I I change for mushrooms. I do a lot of mushrooms for sleep. It's not the mushroom, the tea, the one that psychedelic. Yeah, it's the one that distracts of mushroom. And I do reishi for my guys from life cycle. And these mushrooms be help me big time, like crazy. Because when when I first heard, they're like, uh, might be these other things. But last week I was in Singapore. Next week I'm going to Australia. And one of the things that keep me very good with the jet lag is the mushrooms. Because whenever I need to read or whenever I need to do a podcast or interview or appearance with the with the fans, I took the I took the, the lion's mane is the one that helped me with the focus. But the one that I take at night and whenever I need to, to relax, because I'm a little bit hyperactive and sometimes I go crazy whenever I start talking or never start having a conversation, I just keep going. And to calm me down, I've been using Reishi. He's another one that helped me a lot. So I'm big on supplementation. How long were you testing it for to find out that it was adequate for your needs and, and it gave you the right results? Um, my, Like I said, I've been taking supplements for years. I've been doing those things for years. And my body adapts super fast. You recognize things super fast. I can like, drink the water and as I'm jugging the water, I say, oh, food my body kind of is very sensitive with the supplement with the water with a with a drink i don't drink at all because of that you i, I mean I i've never touched alcohol myself oh that's so, cool. uh, i never uh, touch uh, any uh, drug yeah. i never smoke i never did enough i never even try but i always had a drink but that kind of turns me on a little bit like i <laughs> couple couple times i drink and i forgot what i did like gets too crazy for me drinking so I quit drinking I, th- I I think when you get to the level of martial artist that you are I think it's disrespectful to drink because yes. you're dangerous when you're intoxicated yeah. essentially not not just not to yourself but to other people as well I, I'm not danger on the, on the fight I don't think I, I'll f- ever fight because I get more more relaxed more yeah, friendly yeah, yeah. but I drink a couple of times and I don't remember what I did, especially back in the days. I remember we were going to that type of concert and then I drink a little bit and then I was 
Because you Brazilians love in a party. In the top of the concert <laughs> with the guy singing right there. And then I don't remember. So it's yeah. that crazy. So that I kind of blacked out. And then I did a lot of things that I don't remember. And even though my, I have a great relationship with my wife. And I was drinking here and there. But about I think two years ago, maybe more. I quit. And then I was always awake. It was always one drink or two, two beers. And I was out. How important has it been having a wife that you love and that is is supportive of your career? How, how much has that benefited you? Oh, a hundred percent! Like she's a big number one support. I think I, I'm pretty sure if I didn't have Bruna giving me a hundred percent of support, I don't think I'll be here. To be honest, because she goes beyond. You know, like she cooks all that food that I say that I eat super healthy that I do. She does. <laughs> she cooks it all. She cooks at all. And she can wow. cook. And she can cook. So, uh, yeah, she does everything. So, how, how long have you been with her? I've been with her since 2010. I've been married for how long? I've been married since... Uh, we married super close. We get together to the end of 2009 to 2010. That's uh, 13 years. We've been married 11 years. Yeah. And in 2010, you you must have been starting to get a bit of your name for yourself so when you when you're getting a bit of a name for yourself in martial arts and you know going on to look to get into the ufc and all that stuff how did you know that she was the ones particularly she whenever i met her was 2010 i still in sao paulo rio Getting a little bit better, but I didn't degrade in jiu-jitsu. I think my best year in jiu-jitsu was after I met her, 2010 and 11. 2010 was Brazilian national champion, a black belt, European champion. Started traveling more, uh, making more money. Would no get champion. 2011 was my best year when I became a jiu-jitsu champion in jiu-jitsu. And she was by my side. I don't know. That was a crazy chemical with her. On the beginning... I felt she was the one right on the beginning. And the, and the great thing was she was competing in jiu-jitsu too. She was a black, she was a brown belt. couple years that we were together, she got a black belt. So I knew her for tournaments, for competition. She was competing oh, really? as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So she understood the life. Yeah, she, understood, she, understood, she, understood. she understood. I think that's what make it easier because she knows what it takes. She was, especially back then, she was trying to become a champion herself. But, like, women, especially MMA got big maybe after Ronda Rousey. That's five years ago, maybe a little bit more. But at her time, 2010, 8, 9, when she was trying, was too small. You know, she couldn't do it. But it was great to, to be with her. And then she's been helping my career like it. Uh, she does everything, like, did, was, all did, the payments, yeah. everything, all the cooking, all the cleaning i'm for sure I still help her a lot i still do a lot but she does she's like my did, number one supporter and everything did was, did she kind of happily forego her career to kind of make sure that you were kind of facilitated in your growth and everything like that because it kind of it kind of sounds like she's giving everything to you because she wants to see you achieve what yeah. perhaps she couldn't herself because she didn't have the opportunity. Yeah, I agree. She kind of gave her, gave out her own 
competition and everything for me, you know, and she's and she supports me big time. It's like she getting better now reading the contracts. She do even investments like now we we have a different investments. We do a little money in stock, we doing money on on real estate. Uh we we put in a lot of different monies. Now I'm investing in the supplement, we're doing a lot of different things and she takes care of all of that, you know. Right now, right now that I don't have a fight, I'm just doing a lot of PT, doing my cardio, getting back, lifting, getting back in shape. I'm more aware of everything that is happening. But the moment that I that I'm back on training, on track, I don't I don't look at that at all. And especially when I sign a fight agreement, then I'm like a hundred percent fighter. I just rest for sure. I still watch the guy tape. I study the guy. I talk to the coach. Have a meeting. But I just train pretty much, rest, recover, training, rest, recover, fighting. I I do, like I said, I have a, my own uh, uh, strength conditioning, my own therapist, my own psychologist. I I I do my social media. I I have everything. That's what I'm focused on when I have a fight. And then she kind of, I don't even know when it's do payments. I don't do yeah, payments. That's I don't, not that's not even not on your radar. I don't take a look at that at all. I don't even know like because <laughs> wasn't your first UFC fight a, a complete call out of the blue for you? Because I think I was reading you were a grappling you were you were being a grappling coach yeah. at the time on TV on a TV show, um, and then someone pulled out of a fight and and so and they they called you something like that. A little bit like that. So, 2011, I reached the my my goal. I became a jiu-jitsu world champion. That was in California. Uh, on June, on, on a Sunday. And I was in California. I was in LA. I had a couple of seminars scheduled. Whenever you become a champion, your name is out there. There's a lot of opportunity, sponsors, uh, seminars, super fights. And then... On Wednesday, I went to one of my sponsors, and then Vito Belfort was there. And Vito Belfort back then was the guy. He's still one of the biggest guys in Brazil. And he was the guy with MMA, with the jiu-jitsu. And then everybody was kind of beat up from the tournament. And then he asked if I want to train. I said, yeah, for sure I want to train. And then we trained. We did a couple drills. And he was... A sponge. He was asking everything. Especially back then, my jiu-jitsu was so so sharp. I just became a world champion. And they, oh, how you take the back? How you do these specific moments in jiu-jitsu? And I was showing him everything. And that was another moment that I was just like, okay, I'm done with jiu-jitsu. What I'm gonna do now? I have two options. Was clear options on the table: be a multiple-time jiu-jitsu world champion or do MMA. And I wouldn't want to do it in MMA, but I had that goal that I need to be. I want to become a Jiu-Jitsu World Champion first, and I was driving for that. But whenever they accomplish, I was just like, "What now? What am I going to do now?" It was going towards MMA, but then when I met Vitor, he needs a guy to train his Jiu-Jitsu, and then he asked me, "Do you want to? I can pay you. We come to Vegas. I want you to help my Jiu-Jitsu." And were you thinking about doing MMA? I said, yes, I'm thinking of doing MMA. So that was it. I met Vito on Wednesday after I was Jiu-Jitsu World Champion on Sunday. Saturday I was in Vegas. 
I canceled a couple seminars. I was going to Australia. That would be my first time going to Australia. I canceled that seminar. And I started training Victor for his fight. And I started training MMA myself. And I remember Monday. <laughs> Monday was an extreme couture. Bought my mouthpiece. Got the gloves. Got the shin guards and everything. And I did my... Monday I trained with Vitor in the morning. And Monday night I trained the amateur. They had an amateur class. But those guys were just crazy guys that maybe watch a fight on Saturday, show up on the gym on Monday. It was super, super amateur. I just kind of took everyone down to meet those guys pretty easy. Like I said, I was Jiu-Jitsu World Champion at that time, a week prior to that. So they make me go on Tuesday for the pro class, pro sparring <laughs> <laughs> on Tuesday. And then I have a mouthpiece from the Walmart, so bad it couldn't even... They couldn't even bite down on your gut. It wasn't even fitting your gums or nothing. <laughs> it was that bad. And then I would, when I, I start training, we warm up a little bit. And I have a guy that's Gray Maynard. He just fought for the title at that time. Uh, I had a couple high-level fighters, Tyson Griffin, Evan Dunn, the old UFC guys, high-level at the time. Jay Hero was a Bellator top contender. He, after a little bit, he fought Ben Nashville for the Bellator title. It was just those high-level guys. Michael Chandler was 4-0, and he was doing a, his Bellator debut. It was a lot of high-level fighters, and I was right there. And the first day was a mess. I got nose bleeding. I got beat up. I was in a great shape because I was just a jiu-jitsu champion, but when you change it to a punches and takedowns, Against a couple of wrestlers, whenever I could took these guys down, it was great. A couple of guys, they were high-level wrestlers, was defending my takedowns, they would beat the crap out of me. So first day was great because it was a little wake-up call because... Now this is serious. This is serious. Because my ego was a little, oh, I became a world champion. It was a little like, a little... Inflated. A little inflated. I won't say cocky, but I was feeling great. You know, I just achieved my dream. A week after that, I was getting my, <laughs> I was getting my butt handled for these guys. I was just like, <sighs> it was just hard. But I think because it was too hard and because it was too intense, you become a patient right there. I started loving that right there because it was so hard. Okay, that's that's what I do. That's what I want to do right now. Was that crazy? Just because we're so challenging, so challenging that I say, okay, that's what I'm going to do right now. And then I make a decision right there. And then I kept training at Extreme Couture with Vitor. Then I went to corner Vitor to his first UFC fight. And that was me visualizing myself being the UFC soon. You know, okay, I'm going to be here soon. And Vitor beat. Yoshihiro Yakiyama, that was the first time that I cornered Vitor in the UFC. And that was crazy because Rashad Evans was the main event. And then he fought Chiro Tease in UFC Philadelphia. And my my main coach right now, one of my mentors, a good friend of mine, Harry, he was there at that night cornering Rashad Evans. And today he's my main coach, but he was there at my first UFC event. And... Uh, yeah, then I cornered Vito a couple more times, and we went to the the UFC, the first the Ultimate Fighter Show in Brazil. I was the 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 jiu-jitsu coach at that show. Then I cornered Cesar Ferreira a couple of times. I went one and zero in 2012, 
And then I was running, getting a couple fights, fights after fights. 2012, January 2012 was my first professional fight. 2014, I signed with the UFC. I was 7-0, all finished in the first round. You got my, my first three fights in the UFC. I was 10-0. So was there a lot of talk on the inside of UFC about you? They knew me already. I was yeah. the jiu-jitsu champion. And the crazy thing, too, at that finals, still nowadays they said it was the hardest bracket in the whole lightweight division in the jiu-jitsu tournament because we have several guys who were champions. In my finals was against Cron Gracie, that was Hickson Grace, son, East Hickson Grace, son, now fights in the UFC too. But he got bigger because I was world champion, beating Hickson Grace, son, in the finals. So that thing was so big, and then I became Vitor Belfort, jiu-jitsu coach, and then the UFC, and then I started going behind the scenes, and I was, it was just getting closer because I, I'm going to be here. And I knew everybody, and I started calling everybody by the name. I met Dana, I met everybody. I said, yeah, I'm going to be here soon. Less than two years since my pro fight, I got in the UFC. And I'm uh, still chasing that dream to become a UFC champion. What is it that kind of keeps driving you, though, to want to become a UFC champion when you've already done so much? I mean, there must... Because when we go back to through this podcast and I said... You know, it wasn't just about you becoming a jiu-jitsu world champion. It was about your why. And your why back then was about, you know, feeding your family. Your why back then was about feeding yourself. Your why was about changing your family's position. You've now done that. You've now made money. You've now made cash. You've, you've, you've changed your family's position. You've changed your life. You provide for your wife. So what is the drive and what is the why now? Because that why isn't there anymore. Not that one, but a lot of different ways, you know. Uh, the way I see right now, where I came from, not a lot of guys came, you know, not. My brother came, my brother is in South Florida here too, he opened up a gym, but if I saw my neighbors, saw the guys that start training with me in the same gym, with the same, with maybe more potential, those guys didn't made it the way I made it, so... I still think one of the, the main reasons that I think I'm not done yet, you know, I don't, I came far, very far, but I still believe it has a lot more to go. I still want to provide for my family for, for generations. I still want my son to be great and have all of that. They already have a lot more than I, than I dream about her. I still can think it can give it more and couple other other ways to still I do believe I inspire a lot of people in Brazil but becoming a champion I still think it's going to be even bigger you know I can I can show to a lot of more people but I just see it I'm not like I agree with what you said. I still get with my money right now. I own my house. I own, I own another house. I'm doing business. I have, but I don't feel fulfilled yet with not being the champion, not being the best, because I know I can be, and I came that far. It feels that I'm getting closer and closer. It's just a little bit more. Just keep it hustling a little bit more. Don't 
I could call a career right now and say I'm done, yeah, but yeah, but you, you you know there's something you know there's some more left, yeah. He's still a lot left. Yeah, I I, w- I don't think it will be fulfilled right now. I don't think it will be done, and it will be very hard for me with living with myself, knowing I could have done more, and that that kills me. There that thing that I know it. I I I never left nothing behind with you to give everything I have. I I make a couple decisions, a couple risk decisions, drop out of college, went on a different state, fought with my parents back then to 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 achieve that dream. Got the responsibility for my older brother. He couldn't train. I can train. I'm gonna push my best. I still feel in that way. I still can give more. I still have more to give. Like that bucket is still full. I still can can do more. I th- I think the most beautiful thing about what you've just said there. Is it isn't isn't just the fact that you've got you think you've got more to give. I think the most beautiful thing that I've kind of identified from you saying that is that when you set your goal originally to be a jiu-jitsu world champion, your goal was way smaller than than what you can achieve. And what I want everyone that listens to you say that to understand right now is that the goals that you're setting in your life right now are way smaller than what you could possibly ever achieve. So you should increase your increase the level of your goals. Because Gilbert Burns here is a perfect example of someone who shot for this massive goal in his mind, achieved it and absolutely surpassed it, and now is going to go for an even bigger goal. I think the goal at the start should have been the UFC champion from the jump, you know, with along the way. Because like you, you, you're gonna you're gonna do it, aren't you? You're gonna you're gonna make this stuff happen. Yes, I do believe I'm gonna make it happen. But yeah, <laughs> now make me think about it. Is is this a different? Is this a different way of thinking? Isn't it? I've had so many goals in life, and when I've achieved this pinnacle big goal that I thought was going to be my life's purpose, my life's work. When I, when I got there, classic example, when I worked world title level in boxing, when I got there, I realized, hold on a minute, there's way more levels to this. There's way more levels. This doesn't even, this doesn't even, uh, even encapsulate the surface. I've not even touched the surface of what I can do in life. And it's just, you know, you're someone that's been around the world and been to many countries. I've, I'm well traveled and been to many countries and creating opportunities. And it's just like, you just see, hold on a minute. Our goal three years ago or 10 years ago to achieve this level of stuff was way too small. That's True. what, that's, that's what I've always experienced in life. And I think when you said that just now, I think that reminded me of that. Holy fuck. I need to, I need to, it's like, even when you said that, first thing that came to my head was holy fuck my goal with the podcast is too small it needs to it, i need to fucking 10x my goal with the podcast because it's too fucking small i agree and yeah. and yeah uh be yeah <laughs> i mean you're thinking then yeah <laughs> yeah i'm thinking because the jiu-jitsu world champion for me was everything and then whenever i accomplish it came with that that thing that what now okay what I'm gonna do now what I'm gonna put my energy on and then it was MMA get in the UFC become a champion and then it's still like you know I had those goals right down I gotta buy a house I gotta I remember I said I gotta buy a car I gotta I don't even say I buy a house in the beginning but I say rent a bigger house because the apartment was so small and then I had a couple goals and then eventually buy a house get a green car boom and then. And then I remember have several goals, like maybe 15, 10 goals, get a better contract, and then get a, a financial, like freedom, get a better financial. 
a financial peace. That was the word. Get a financial peace. Uh, get a green car. You know, put the kids in a good school. Move to a better community. Uh, and the main one was becoming a UFC champion. That was the number one. And under that, I have several goals. So this was your American dream, then. Yeah, my American dream. This is your American <laughs> dream because you, you had your and Brazilian. Your Brazilian dream was to become the the Jiu Jitsu <laughs> world champion. And then when you left Brazil, <laughs> and when you landed in California for the first time, I think it was California, wasn't in it? California, yeah. first time. Yeah. Then that's when you came. Okay, right now I've got my American dream, and this is when you started your new your new thing. Yeah, and and you st- and you're fulfilling those prophecies now, and I accomplish all of that. It's just one. Just the UFC belt is didn't accomplish yet. So what is the, what is the difference now? Because obviously you're 37, which is great. You've got experience, but obviously you, you're older. How you, you you think you've got three years left to become this UFC world champion? What is what do you think is your pathway to to doing that? What have you what have you got to? Do? I know you've got to win a fight, obviously, to become world champion. That's obvious. But what what do you think you've got to do differently now to make sure that that happens? To be honest, I think this year was doing amazing. I just got a big win in Brazil, after, especially after that Hamza fight, the Hamza Shimaev, that was a big fight. But the, the, you got a win bonus for, even though obviously that was a narrow loss. In fight of the year, you got a trophy, fight of the year. But super close, end up losing. And then very hard to get on the fight, took him a little while. Eventually fought in Brazil at the beginning of this year. Beat New Magni first round. On the same week, he got a call. We want you to fight Jorge Masvidal here in Miami. Came here, beat George here. After that, I got a phone call from my manager offering another fight. And I think that was that was a little bit of hurry. Remember that we talk about those moments that sometimes you got to enjoy a little bit or sometimes you got to that's, that's the experience piece that you didn't you didn't previously have using using that experience to just give yourself that little bit more time when you know your body's not right. My body, I was feeling great to be honest, but I didn't respect a training camp. I didn't respect a preparation. And end up that I took that fight, short notice against a, a tough guy that was doing very good. End up injuring myself in the first round, but. I rolled the dice, you know, like that, that was the thing. And a win will give me a title shot. That was my goal. But I just think I, I pushed the process a little bit, you know, and then I'd be on the process for so long. And I, I think we got to take every step necessary. There's no jumping a, a, a process, it's not trying to, okay, let's make it easy. Let's go here. No, I think that was the little bit of the mistake that I did trying to push the process so much to get the title shot that I kind of end up injuring my myself and losing the fight. And I do believe I'm, I'm still super close of a title shot in the UFC. I, I've been fighting anyone at, at any time, all the guys in the division, toughest guys I fought, I face. And uh, even though, even the ones that I lost, I never got demolished. I always fought hard and I always hurt these guys and I always been showing who I am and I think like going back to your question what do I need to do to become a champion I think I'm very close I just need to respect the process a little bit like get a good title 
uh, get a good fight, prepare, respect my training camp, make sure I get a good training camp, everything on point, get a huge win, especially too right now it's not about just winning by, just winning a fight. Right now I need to finish, I want to finish. I think get into a fight, and if I just win, it, it does okay for me. But if I go out there... And demolish someone. And demolish the guy, like destroy the guy, I'm going to be next. Who do you, who, 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 who you want to fight to prove to prove that you're <laughs> ready for the shot? I want to fight all these top level guys. I, I love to fight. My, if you ask, I have... I let's, have let's, a call, let's call I one have out. Let's call one out. Least. Let's call one out. I let's love to out. fight. Kobe Covington, there's a fight that I always, last three, four years, I've been thinking about it. But he's the one fighting Leon Edwards now for the title. They didn't confirm. I heard it's going to be November or December. So I still got time. I'm going to be in preparation. Six more weeks. I went on my doctor on Monday. I got six more weeks. Finally on, on the shoulder recovery to be clear to 100% training. So now getting my shoulder strong, I just got a call. When I was here, I know it's from the doctor. They just confirmed tomorrow at four. I'm gonna do a, a steam cell. That's gonna be the last thing. Yeah, beautiful. Over in my shoulder, I didn't want to worry. That's gonna. Where, be where, where do you do the stem cells in America, or do you I do stem cells? America. I do in America because the USADA they were doing in Colombia and a lot of different places. But they put a couple peptides, they put a- extra things on the on the steam cell that are not clear by the USADA. So I had a meeting with the guys at the USADA. They said, "No, let's do it." In America, they have a very good place in South Lake City that they send here. That is, is coming tonight. It's getting here tomorrow morning. And then I'm going to put billions of steam cells on my shoulder. And that should help me big time. So what does, just because I want the audience to be aware as well, like what do the stem cells exactly do with your shoulder then? How's the, it been explained to you? This, the way they explain to me is the steam cells, as soon as you inject in the body, the, those are billions of cells and baby cells that, that that come to a body and the way they come they're looking for inflammation they see to a, a, a bad cell that they want to make the cell better so that's why they inject in the place so when I went when I injected last time I went to my doctor he put a, a ultrasound and then he could see where the injury was it, he injects right there a billion of new baby cells. And those cells are there, they see the damage right there, and they're going to start repairing. But, like, it's not one, it's not a hundred, it's not a thousand. It's billions, yeah. Billions of cells are working on that injury. So, you see, that's why he, the recovery is so big. I've been working about, I've been hearing about stem cells for a while, but lately, the last two years, people have been saying, bro, it's, it's just different. To be honest, the first time that I did, I didn't have a full range of motion on my shoulder. And they put on the three places that I had. I had an injury on my AC joint, my deltoid, and I had a, a, a torn on my trapezius muscle. I still have a, a strain on the C5 and on the C6. But whenever they apply the steam cells, it hurt because kind of a few that was in the bone, very close to the bone and a lot of pressure. I didn't have a full motion on the body. They put, they they. They put a steam cell, it hurt so much. When I woke up in the morning, it was just a miracle. Just like. Wow. That quick. Literally that quick. Wow. I was just like, 
I love that thing, and then that's going to be the second time that I'm doing it. And I just believe he, he helped me big time. And I know a lot of cases. Kamar Uzma was the one that put it on his knees, feeling a lot better. And all, a lot of all the fighters that have been doing, Sean O'Malley, and a lot of even close friends that I have. My accountant, he has a problem in the lower back. He went all the way to Colombia, and he's feeling amazing right now. Yeah, he seems so pretty Yeah, my, my mate... Um Brendan, who's been on the podcast, he's an MMA world champion, and he uh, he's just been to Colombia. PFL, right? Yeah, yeah, PFL. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a beast. A, he's a beast, bro. He's, he's a, fucking, a beast, bro. He's fucking crazy. Striking, crazy. I'm a yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, have you have you met before? No, not yet. Yeah, I'll have to right. introduce you to because I thought I've told him today that you're coming on. He's a beast. So he's, he's, a, he respects you too, and he went to Colombia recently to have stem cells as well. How is it feeling? Yeah, because he he says it's elite level, like and he and he's in immaculate condition for his age too, bro. Like like, you know what I'm saying? He keeps himself immaculately. You know what I'm saying? So these stem cells, there's definitely a lot of a lot of fighters that that are getting them. And I, th- I think if once you retire as well, like just keep, sure, keep where, where wherever there's an injury, just put stem cells in there. Yeah. Do you, was it cost to to do this kind of treatment? No, it was the UFC. So the UFC cover it all? UFC cover it all, especially that injury was during the fight. Even after the fight, they say, oh, anything that you need, don't worry about so, it. So break down how it works then for the UFC. You get paid for the fight and they look after all your health care and everything else whilst you're in it. So you, obviously you're part of an organisation. So it's not like boxing where you, you're paid for one fight and then they just let you go out to pasture. It's like they care for you in the in-between time as well. They do, they do. If I'm if I'm getting hurt, getting ready to a fight, if I'm on a training camp with the the fighting the the fight sign it, and I'm under contract to a fight, and I get injury, they take care off. After the fight, any injury that I have, and we all know, especially the guys from from my gym, we we let everyone know any injury that you have, or any possibly, uh, oh, the shoulders be bothering me. Or these yeah, yeah, yeah. injury, we let they know after the fight because they is all covered. Even if I had a little knee injury, but I let I put on the, on after the fight, I let the doctors know that I have that and it's on my insurance. Even if four or five months after that I get hurt, it's still covered because I heard that in the fight. So, so they actually look after you amazingly well then in the UFC. They do and and they have the Institute of Performance back in Vegas. If you want to go there to do any type of testing, like they have a concussion test, they have a, they have nutritionists, they have uh, strength conditioning, they have. Now I heard that they have even a psychologist. They have everything in there. Everything in there. You just go to Vegas, and I think I'm pretty sure they take care of your fly, of your you stay, and you do any type of test that you need, and, and they take care of. How's your relationship been with Dana over the years and everything like that? Yeah, I have a great relationship with Dana. I don't deal a lot with Dana, but we have a good relationship. I deal more with Hunter Campbell. He's the lawyer, and he's the one that's doing. He, he's the guy I believe if. If Dana leaves, he's the one that's going to take over. So Hunter Campbell is a big part of the UFC right now. Another guy that I have a good relationship to is Sean Shelby. He's the responsible to. He's the matchmaker. He's the one that gets, oh, oh that card was amazing. Yeah, props to Sean Shelby. Yeah. You know, he's the one working to all making those, those fights happen. Yeah, those are the, the two guys that I talk to most with you on the UFC. Sean Shelby, Hunter Campbell, and then Dana, but... 
Every time that I want to fight, that I'm calling someone now, that we're having a talk, I already talk to them, hey, I want this fight, give me this guy. Yeah. Whose decision was it, do you think, to give you the, obviously when that fight became fight of the year, whose decision was it for you to get paid a win bonus as well? I think it's Dana White and Sean Shelby that, 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 that get this. I think that's... I think that was a good gesture. I think after the fight, no, he paid, so... The three ways to get paid in the UFC. So you get your show money. Yep. That's guaranteed. If you make the way, if you're fighting, you get your show money. If you win, you get your win bonus. And if it's a great fight, fight of the night, a good performance, you get plus 50,000. So I got my show money. I lost the fight. And I got the bonus of fight of the night. Ah, he gave you the bonus, yeah. But yeah. because the fight was... Very so good, good yeah. so close. He gave my win bonus too. What's a what's a win bonus in the UFC? Uh, it's different for fighter to fighter, but like a beginner is very low. It's like ten plus ten, so ten to show, ten to win. The guy that's very on the beginning of the UFC, after three or four fights, they renegotiate and they change the contract, and then goes up like maybe four four times that, triples that, like forty plus forty. If the guy keeps going that, and then he goes to 80, and 100, 300, and then a couple guys is still same plus same, let's say 200 plus 200. But a couple guys, when he, the, I heard when the contract gets very good, those guys get more show money, like 400 to show up and maybe 200 to win. So it depends a lot on the contract, based on the contract. But show money Whenever the guys are high, I I believe like Justin Gage, Dustin Poirier, those guys have so many fights in the UFC, they're fun favorite. I do believe those guys be around 400, 500 to show. I mean, I'm not sure, but that's what I, what I think. What you believe, yeah. What I believe. And they might get like 300, 400 with a win, you know. So then we have the show bonus and you have the win bonus. And you guys can realistically fight with the UFC because of the, because of the structure of it. You can realistically fight, you know, three to four times in a year, can you? Yes, you can. At least three, four. I think it would be so much. A couple guys for four times. But most of the guys, they fight three times a year. Two, if no injury, you know. Uh, so once, once that's healed, 2024, how many fights do you need to have in 2024? In your mind. I think like say, six weeks will be clear. That gives us to okay, October, right? Middle yeah. of October. Will you fight this year, you reckon? I don't think so. No, it's just over 20 Real, Realistically, I need, like I said, just push to the process. Now I got to make sure I do every step out of the way 100%. So I believe January fe- or February will be a great day for me to come back. And I think it'll be 100%. And I'll try to fight a guy that is on the top five. So I'm the number five right now. I'll try to fight number four, three, two, or one. If that's available, because sometimes they are not available. If not, I'll try to fight a top six, seven, maybe eight. I don't want to go too much behind. And I do believe, I do believe a dominant, destroying performance gets me a title shot. If not, if like he's another guy already put out a shot, I think one more will give me. So I do believe 
a big win in February, you get me very close. If not a title shot, then maybe one more. So the way I see myself, everything goes on my way, doing the way I'm I'm hoping and expecting. I think by the end of the uh, by the end of the next year I'm fighting for the title. Man, I'm 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 excited to see you deliver on this new vision you've got and your American dream. I'm excited for that for you because it's the final piece of your American dream. I think it's fantastic. How much has your life changed really then by coming to America and, and just and just obviously experiencing this lifestyle that you have here, the training, the facilities, the the abundance. I mean, even just stepping off the plane here, I know there's a lot of there's there's poverty in places here and all that kind of stuff and I know there's some bad parts of America. But even in just Florida and just seeing how much, you know, how quickly you could make money just by even getting a mop and a bucket and, and starting to um like clean people's windows or homes you could make money here like there's just so much abundance of cash everyone's got everyone's not everyone but there's a lot of abundance of money like yes it's abundance like you're saying is it's fair you know in brazil the way it's not fair you know a guy that works has a, a okay job that works he doesn't make money he can he's he's gonna be so hard for this guy to make it like right here, we we see a guy working on a on a grocery store, works on the Publix so on another one. This guy can have a car. He, you know, for sure he, you not having the best life, but he has access. That's the hardest yeah. thing in Brazil. It doesn't have just to get by. You gotta work super hard, and uh, the way I see it doesn't look fair. You know, it's just not fair in Brazil. The abundance is different. Guy with the with the regular job here makes. A good living in Brazil, regular job, but he's surviving. Like that's the difference. That's the biggest difference. And uh, I, I, I saw that when I was here. So first I met Vitor, and then I moved to Vegas, and I started training Vitor. I still on a tourist visa. I will stay in Vegas, go back to Brazil, stay in Vegas. Then we decided to move to Florida. And when I get first time here in Florida, I would say, okay, I want to live here. Yeah, it's the, be- place. it's the best place, in it? Like Back it then was California, but when I got here, especially it was kind of like Delray, Boca, the Black Seals. When I was there, we were like, man, I want to live right here. That's that's the place. And we're always like here, back and forth with the tourist visa coming, training a little bit, go back, got a couple fights. Then my wife got pregnant. And then... When I was here, it was cool, but I was always saving money, doing seminars, and got back to Brazil. And then she was pregnant. And then we were living, I was living in Niterói when I, then I went back, I moved to Sao Paulo, then I got back to Rio. I was already with her, 2011, afterwards. I stayed with Vitor, but I still living in Brazil, staying in the US, but living in Brazil with her. And uh, she got pregnant. Where we were, so she used to live in the favela, but like favela, favela. Wow. If we go there, we go up and we see the drug dealers, we see the guys with the guns, like for real, like. And but we didn't, she was living in the favela, but when we started living together, we live down. It's still a little ghetto, but not, we don't see the guys with the guns, you know. But then we were when we were living there we was in an apartment. But then they have a guy selling crack there, a bunch of crack heads in there. And the apartment we, you you could hear like five a.m. 
they started lining with those crackheads and this thing was insane because those guys were taking older refrigerators like those guys was maybe 120 120 pounds so skinny sucked up with the crack like hallucinated and bro getting a refrigerator on the back picture that lock or a big stove on the back taking there to sell so I remember she was pregnant and then when I see those guys I say I don't I don't want my kid to grow up here I want them to grow up in Florida so then we decided to move here we almost moved for him to born here but was the first kid you know was was her, we didn't know what to expect. So she had a family there, I had family there. We we wait for Pedro, my first son, to born there. After six months, we sold everything out of the house, everything. I, I had a car, we sold the car, we sold everything, and then we move. Crazy thing is when I move, I still came in the tourist visa, and I didn't know what I'm going to do, but I move. Not a lot of plan. I know I'm going to become a UFC fighter. I know I'm going to be a champion. I didn't know how. I didn't know when. But we just moved. And uh, things started slowly. And then after, I remember after four months, I was broke. The whole money was gone because I got to buy a car. We in an apartment first, deposited, and last, last year payment. Then I was getting broken. I started teaching. I started doing seminars. I started doing a couple grappling fights. I was Six and no, I got a fight in Brazil. I had my first knockout. I had four wins, five wins by four wins by submission, one TKO. I knocked the guy out in Brazil. Six and no, I was training here, going going back. And then I got my last, my another fight in Brazil against a very tough guy. This guy was a black belt in jiu-jitsu, good jiu-jitsu, and he was a Muay Thai fighter, too good striking. That was the toughest fight. I said, man, that fight's gonna be very tough. And I went to Brazil to fight, and I remember I knocked that guy out in the first round. I didn't expect that. I didn't know my hands were that heavy, but that was a, that's when I started kind of understanding all that. And then when I moved back, I still broke because the money in Brazil, when we go here in the exchange, the money is like nothing. Yeah, I get a couple thousand dollars I pay here and there, and then I got the call from the UFC. Then things started getting a little bit better. Then I signed with the UFC. Things started getting a little bit better. Then my wife got pregnant again for the second baby. Then I started fighting the UFC. And then it kind of changed, you know. But was always, like I said, it's always that little, she, now she's pregnant. Now we got to yeah. move to the U.S. And then when we moved, now I was broke. She now, and then I got to fight. Okay, now I got to beat this guy. Then I beat the guy. I go, now I signed with the UFC. And then and that's when the, Literally when the, the, the American dream started. I love it, mate. And you've always just kind of like just kept pushing that thing. One thing I want to ask you before we get off this podcast is obviously Logan Paul's fighting Dylan Dennis. <laughs> obviously, Dylan, you probably know real well. Yeah. Um, What's your thoughts on that fight and who wins? Uh, Dylan used to be very good at jiu-jitsu. Like, uh, like I said, a black belt is different. But on the lower belt, he was doing great. He was, I think, two-time two jiu-jitsu champion, the lower belt, purple belt, brown belt. Then he's got his black belt, and then he got a big fight with his former coach, Marcelo Garcia, one of the best, Hall of Fame. And then he got expelled from that gym. 
and then he got with Connor, and then he kind of stopped competing a lot of jiu-jitsu. And then he did a little, I think maybe one or two MMA fights, and then he got double knee surgery, and then he got to redo the surgery, and he got a big layout. And after that, now he's going to do his first fight back from those surgeries. He's supposed to fight KSI, and they canceled that fight. He can fight. I'll give that guy that. He talks so much, he's crazy. He can fight. The thing is, I don't know what shape is going to be there. I don't know the experience. I don't know coming yeah, back from yeah. the surgery. And Logan Paul, good or bad, the guy for KSI lost for Floyd. I think there's a yeah, yeah. There's a ton of experience there with win, like fighting Floyd Mayweather. Now he's going to fight. He's bigger. He's in shape. He's training. Guy looks massive. I don't reckon he'd pass the drug test though. No, for sure. I don't think they do drug <laughs> They have no Yuzada in those boxing fights. He's never passing one of them, is no he? Way. Look at his condition. I mean, it, even before he started training camp, his condition was unbelievable. I think there's a lot of um, supplements. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> juicy, a lot of secret juice. Yeah. Uh, but I think Logan Paul wins this fight. I think yeah. uh, more experience. Just the fight with Floyd alone gives you a lot of experience. Dylan has been though this active guy on social media talking a lot of crap. I saw a couple of videos, a couple of photos from yeah from Logan Paul fiance. I don't know. I think I think when you talk so much, it can go both ways. Yeah, you can you can either you can either back it up like the Conor McGregor most of the, most of the time, or you can end up becoming slave or the, the things that you say. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. But I think Logan Paul wins this fight. Crazy. I wasn't. I wasn't expecting you to say that. I wasn't expecting you to say that because obviously I'd, I'd, I'd read a lot about Dylan and obviously he's, he's he was champion of jujitsu. Boxing certain, but now. <laughs> he's not a jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, he's no jujitsu in it, is there? But obviously, kind of a bit of pedigree. And the one or two MMA fights that he had, he fought a very low level competition, and he didn't show any strike. You know, it was just he pure grappling took this guy down, a yeah. couple seconds and finish. Uh, yeah, we're about to see his strike. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see, see what happens. We'll see what yeah, happens. It's going to be fun. I'm going to watch. It's going to be fun. But, mate, honestly, it's been unbelievable to get your journey out on here, and I think it's going to add a lot of value to this audience. But there's one question I'd like to ask yeah. before I leave, leave the podcast, and I always ask it because I think it gives people a real context into not only who you are, but gives them something really actionable to take away in the day. And I, and I say this, if, there's, if, if you had to leave the world tomorrow, you couldn't take any of the accolades with you, your family or anything like that, but you could just leave one piece of advice for the people who listen to this podcast and that one thing takes them forward 1% in their life from this day forward, what would it be? I would try to, to do the thing that I love. I think that's, that's the best advice that I can give to you because I didn't know jiu-jitsu would give me money. I didn't know anything, but I had that goal to become a jiu-jitsu world champion. And... I learned so much on that journey. That journey make me who I am. The journey make me all the goods and bads and, and turning me to to who I am, you know. So I think you 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 gotta find a purpose. You gotta find something that you really want, that you really love. If we can pursue that a lot, you know, I think then you're gonna you're gonna live a happy life pursuing what you want. 
uh, even though a lot of ups and downs, like a lot of hard times with jujitsu, moving out of places and like living in a in a in a in a very small place with four guys, but I was pursuing something that I love, and I was always happy because. Even a lot of ups and downs, but because I was pursuing what I want, I was trying to achieve what I love. I I can be done, you know, because I had a very happy life, even with a lot of struggle, with a lot of ups and downs. But pursuing what I love, it makes me live a very happy life, you know. I love that, mate. I really do. I think that puts into a context for a lot of you listening to this. Just follow what you love and and kind of lean in more to doing things that light you up and i think that's going to put you on the right path and that is gilbert burns and mate i appreciate your time today and do me a favor guys share this podcast with everyone you know get everyone involved get everyone that loves the ufc to listen to this podcast too and also people that just want more out of life if you listen to gilbert's story and you don't get something from it at a high level and take that and put that into your life i think you're crazy but share this on every platform you can i appreciate all of you listening much love Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.